the iCloud is now over Mesa. <laughs> Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. As the community of Mesa, Arizona began to grow, community leaders recognized that telecommunications would be a key element to its success. This week, Chris visits with Alex Deshik, Manager of Technology and Innovation from Mesa. As you will hear, Mesa used several creative methods to ensure better connectivity. The community was an early adopter of Dig Once policy, placing conduit whenever streets were excavated for any other infrastructure purpose. Mesa has also taken advantage of non-traditional existing infrastructure, planting fiber and abandoned conduit that had been used for other utility purposes. The result is a network of about 150 miles of fiber throughout the community. The investment has paid off in a number of ways over time and helped the city establish a broadband-friendly environment for economic development. We bring you the Community Broadband Bits podcast ad-free each week, but we need your support. It's easy. Go to ILSR.org and click on the orange Donate button. You can also donate at muninetworks.org from the top menu bar. Each contribution is appreciated. Now here are Chris and Alex discussing the ways Mesa has turned a long-term vision into reality in Arizona. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Alex Deshik, the Manager of Technology and Innovation for the City of Mesa, Arizona. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. So can you tell us a little bit about Mesa? I, I've been through Arizona a number of times, and uh, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible place, but I, I have not actually been to Mesa, I don't believe. We're kind of a sprawling suburb of, of Phoenix, as are most of the cities around us. Um, we're the third biggest city in the state of Arizona. Um, we have just shy of a half a million people, and we're approximately um, 180 square miles. We're the 35th biggest city in the country, most people don't realize that, bigger than Miami, Minneapolis, and a number of other more name recognition cities. Wow, that is that is definitely different than how I than my impression of it. So I'm I'm very glad that you could um, explain that. Most large cities uh, have not gone to the lengths that you have in terms of establishing really smart approaches to uh, conduit and fiber and uh, in the modern uh, telecom economy. Um, so maybe we can take a step backwards and you can tell us how did it all start that Mesa started getting involved with some conduit and fiber type investments? Well, it, it goes back a number of years, probably, I would say, at least 10 or 15 years really with the idea of municipal networks, which really never took off to a large degree. But um, it was also a combination of building our own infrastructure where there was none. Um, again, 15 years ago, Mesa was very different. Uh, I remember the freeway had uh, a sign that said, next two exits Mesa That in that time period. Now it says next 17 exits. So, so the city has grown, the population has grown dramatically. But in that forethinking time, the city was investing in, in infrastructure, which is key to our, our you know, developing Mesa from this boomberg, as we were called, into a more thriving technology-based economy. So the infrastructure is you know, obviously sewer and water and gas and electric, but we saw the, the city people at that time saw technology and, and connectivity, broadband at that time, which was in its infancy, as, as key to attracting that kind of type of investment in the city. 
One of the things that I think a lot of us associate with Arizona is a very um, sort of anti-government uh, feeling uh, that that government that governs least is uh, that that governs best. And so I'm curious to what extent that uh, has informed your approach or if it's just that I have a mistaken impression. Uh, I think Arizona is, is a Republican state, uh, tried and true, although we've had some Democratic governors here and there. Um, Mesa uh, has has a reputation in the press of being one of the most conservative cities in America, but I think you know within the time frame that we're talking about, we've had this change in leadership where we've had um, more progressive, more inclusive leadership that has really um, sees a vision for Mesa that's changed, uh, and that, as it includes the city um, facilitating our business partners and not regulating as much. So it's it's really this change, like I said, it's not that we're less big government, but we want to facilitate, we want to help as much as we can um, bring those the, those important assets to Mesa. And then if that means us investing in infrastructure, we will do that. So maybe we can get into a little bit of the, the nuts and bolts, and let's start first with uh, the conduit and the fiber. Uh, what exactly uh, does Mesa do? So a number of things. The the program that I mentioned that started uh, well over a decade ago had a, a name uh, then called E Streets, and it was really to invest in when we opened up uh, streets for other work, whether we were building out sewers or water uh, infrastructure, to also put in conduit with the you know express uh, purpose of leasing it out. You know, obviously we used it for our own infrastructure, connecting our own city facilities across the the city, but also with the with the uh, intent that we would lease this conduit um, and, and in cases where we had capacity, we've put in 144-strand fiber count uh, throughout our backbone, um, we would lease the fiber if the carriers were, were interested in the fiber. Um, the the East Streets project um, put in, I would say at this point, we'll probably have 150 route miles, if not more, maybe 200 route miles of conduit in the ground uh, throughout the city. Um, we haven't added more to it recently, although we're starting that program again as we get more capacity in our, our public works improvements. Going forward again, we'll, we will continue opening. When we open up streets, we will put in conduit in key locations and continue building this infrastructure. And I'm curious about the cost of that versus uh, revenues. Do you do you know if there's been a net gain to the city? Just ignoring any of the positive externalities we can talk about next, but in terms of just the revenue from leasing it versus the cost of having put it there. So you know the, the idea of a net revenue gain is is you know it may vary state by state, but technically we cannot have a revenue gain. We can do cost recovery. So we price out the infrastructure for full cost recovery. So at the end of the day, as the assets are um, leased out, the uh, burden back to the taxpayers gets negated. So uh, it's not as we're a revenue center. So we, we do have full cost recovery in our in our rates that we, we would lease the uh, infrastructure out to uh, carriers and vendors. And so I'm curious how that works. Does that mean that if if uh, there's a number of people that have been leasing ahead of me and you've recovered your costs that I can then lease for free? It's really based on a, a linear foot, and it's not based on a particular segment. Um, I assume at some point if we ever leased out the whole infrastructure, um, we would have a, a total revenue neutral at that point. Now we may change the model then to then take the new money invested into new infrastructure. 
So it, we're not at that point where we've actually fully recovered the cost of the whole project. Right, although I think uh, toward the end of the conversation, we'll turn to some of the ways that the project has certainly uh, returned more benefits than its costs. Um, but I, I want to first ask you about, um, aside from putting in conduit and fiber, uh, earlier uh, before we started recording, you noted that, that you've been repurposing older pipes and, and older infrastructure, uh, which is something that I know um, just in New Mexico, some of the cities have debated and decided not to do. Uh, so I was, I'm very curious to know how your experience has been with that approach? As our uh, utility infrastructure ages, it's in most cases uh, more cost-effective to leave the infrastructure in the ground than to take it out and then to add on top of it or alongside it or into another alignment the new infrastructure. So we have you know, many, many hundreds of miles of um, uh, decommissioned utility pipes. And Mesa's got um, gas, uh, water, wastewater, uh, and electric. So we've got infrastructure everywhere, you know, underground and overhead that, that we can use. And we, we tend to want to use underground because of the, the reliability, but um, there is some opportunity for colos on our, our electricity uh, lines too. So from the piping perspective, which has been our biggest success so far, is we have been, um, uh, we have identified all of our abandoned utility in a GIS layer and um, it is, is available to the carriers. We sit down and meet with them whenever there's a construction project and show them what assets we have. So that adds to our inventory. Uh, we've, we've just had two um, vendors, uh, I can't I remember the exact mileage, but it's several miles of uh, abandoned water utility that they proofed. Um, the cost of proofing the pipes is up to the vendor. We don't incur any additional costs, and then we lease it out at a predetermined rate. Um, for the vendor to use. And we've got two vendors just recently. We started the program about a year ago, approved by council, um, and we're already uh, returning some money and value to the city. As you've mentioned that you lease fiber, a lot of times you've mentioned that it's often to carriers. And one of the things I'm usually curious about is when dark fiber is available or conduits available, you know, how much of that is going to other carriers versus uh, to just like a business, like a bank that itself may want to run fiber? So what we're, what we're doing in terms of a hierarchy of, of, of how we're working with, with the business, again, in facilitating the business, we're not looking to compete with the, the carriers. We would rather have the carriers come in and provide the service to the end business. That's their business they're in. Um, Mesa does not want to be a carrier. We don't want to be in that business. We've made that conscious decision. So we will work with them to put their own assets in, put their own conduit in, and help them through right away in permitting and our dig ones program and, and, and get, get there. That's the preferred method. If that's not the case, um, and is, is a business need, we've got assets, whether it's conduit or, or fiber or a water pipe, we will help them get to a location that may, may need some services. Um, and in, in a rare instance, if there's a economic development opportunity, and the carriers don't want to do it, they don't want to partner with us, we will offer through an economic development agreement the city to provide bandwidth connectivity on a, on a temporary basis, basically wrapped around an economic development opportunity um, so we can um, facilitate that. We don't want that to be a, a factor to say they're going to relocate a business somewhere else because they can't get broadband. 
You've mentioned also earlier something that you said uh, before our interview began was uh, was this notion of being broadband friendly. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's things that go beyond what you just described that also are a part of how you think of being broadband friendly to um, those who want to invest in their own services. Well, I, I think we're, 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 you know, we're trying to coordinate. We, we have regular meetings with, with the incumbent carriers in the Valley, anyone that's uh, starting new business. We, we're fully, you know, we fully transparent. Sit down with them and show them our street uh, uh, construction activities. So there's a chance to co-locate and reduce their expenses. We show them our assets as we add assets to the infrastructure underground, fiber and conduit and, and utility pipes. We show them our economic development areas. Now, unless we have a specific opportunity, we bring them into. We can't really disclose that for confidentiality, but we can show them areas of of economic development we're concentrating on trying to partner with them to be ahead of the, the economic development activities. So we've targeted five areas around the city um, based on our uh, health education, uh, uh, aerospace and technology initiative around our airports, you know, around our universities and around our hospitals specifically. And then we have a technology corridor. Um, so we're working with them to be there before the businesses have the need. And it's been relatively successful going forward. Um, they're coming to the table. They tend not to want to sit at the same table from competitive perspective. So we talk to them one-on-one and when, we, when, we, when we meet, and we don't disclose any information other than what we have. Their information is confidential, so they don't have that uh, reluctance to talk to us. And about how many carriers are you working with? I mean, I think a lot of people think incumbents. They think uh, the two, the cable and the telephone company typically. Uh, but I would guess there's a number of other companies that have specialized services for businesses or something like that. You know, in, in the Valley, in, in, in Arizona, we've got uh, CenturyLink and Cox as the big uh, broadband providers. But there's um, EOI, there's TW Telecom, um, Time Warner, uh, obviously, you know, with their merger, there's um, Zayo. There's probably a dozen right now that are that are putting in competitive uh, infrastructure. One of the impacts of that, I think, has been that that you have a corridor that, uh, in particular, is doing uh, pretty well tech-wise. Um, what what has the impact been on the city of these various policies? Well, you know, I think we've had opportunities. Obviously, we we've gone through a cycle. Um, with with Apple, where they were here or not, um, and not, we're, we're getting to uh, get on the cusp of them building this, their largest, biggest investment, three billion dollar investment um, in, in Mesa. One of the factors, as I mentioned, was the infrastructure. That area is was targeted heavily, <laughs> serendipitously, years ago with lots of condo and fiber. Um, there's connectivity there, multiple different paths. We've got multiple different electric utility pathways in and out of there. All the assets are there in the ground already. And I think the plant, is, as a, uh, the, the data center, is, a, is envisioned as 1.3 million square feet. Um, it, it just boggles the mind the size of this thing. I think the envisioning it for your audience is something like 28 football fields could fit under the roof. You know, let me just say that you must have good connectivity because I understand you build a data center in Siberia, in Iceland, but Mesa, um, you know, I, you have to have something really going on special to deal with the cooling costs. It's, it's, not, it's not just a data center. It's their global command center. It's, it's the penultimate data center, I would think, you know, not to put words in their mouth, but... Um, 
our Mesa called it the iCloud is now over Mesa. <laughs> nice. Well, I hope it doesn't interfere with any of the solar power investments that I'm sure are going on there. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, the the plant when it's it's finished will be fully uh, powered primarily by renewables. Although they obviously need backup for a facility like that, but they're committing you know to the environment as well as the technology. So how does it work in terms of uh, in terms of local connectivity to the larger internet? Um, you know, have your investments resulted in any um, uh, improved options for those who need to get super fast connect connections across the country? Yeah, absolutely. For for Mesa citizens, as well as as the opportunity for us to deliver options to businesses when when a carrier may not provide it. Um, Mesa recently com- completed a, an agreement to connect to a tier one peering point through Zeo uh, communications. Um, we're going to connect initially at 500 meg and um, by the end of the year we'll be a full gig connectivity. Uh, we can go up to whatever bandwidth we want to purchase. Um, but essentially by bypassing the middleman local carrier, we doubled our bandwidth and cut our costs in half and, and made this service ubiquitous throughout our, uh, our, uh, our fiber network. And so the the hardest part, I think, for any city uh, that's trying to figure out how to improve Internet access is always how it filters down to residents. And I'm curious if you're seeing any of your city policies uh, resulting in super fast residential connections or what's happening in the community. The Valley was was, uh, uh, part of the next rollout of the Google Fiber, we weren't selected, um, but that alone brought competition. The incumbents are now offering gigabit to all new construction. They were rolling out Wi-Fi networks for their customers. So our, our, our biggest issue with connectivity is really economic barriers to entry, and the city's working to help uh, that by providing free Wi-Fi in all city facilities as, as a, a city-funded program. There'll be opportunities for for economic challenge folks that can't get to internet uh, to be able to go to a city facility community room, um, which there are dozens and dozens of around the city. You know, our city halls, our libraries. Uh, we're all going to provide uh, internet, free Wi-Fi internet, um, in public meeting spaces, in outdoor spaces, in parks, and things like that. So that is under works or underway right now. Um, we're we're getting another seven miles of light rail. It will eventually be Wi-Fi at all light rail stops. So we're we're, we're putting in, internet out to the citizens in city facilities, but it's not our intent to compete and provide the provider to internet to the homes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Alex. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. Please take a few moments to donate to ILSR.org to help us continue our work. We want to thank Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons, and we also want to thank you for listening. Have a great day.